Hello, everyone. Welcome to Typhoon Talks, brought to you by Typhoon Consulting, a boutique management consultancy headquartered in Hong Kong. My name is Chen Yang, and I'm a consultant here with the firm. And I'm Elena. I'm an analyst here with the firm. The legal industry is generally behind when it comes to innovation and technological disruption. Today, we're joined by an ex-lawyer, Lucy Ashenhurst, who recently became a digital entrepreneur and founder of Upstart Alliance, an online legal advisory firm based in Singapore. Welcome, Lucy. Hi. Good morning. And today, we're going to be discussing how the traditional service-based business model can be disrupted by digital technology, and how new technologies will create new ways of doing legal service. So let's start with our first question, Lucy. You used to be a corporate lawyer for many years, and during your professional career,、um, what market gaps have you maybe observed that traditional legal services have failed to fulfill, and、um, how did that inspire you to found Upstart Alliance? I think there's there's two real things that that drove me, I suppose, from my experience in in big corporate law、um, to to what I do now.、Um, I think the first is that.、Um, Uh, traditional law has always been quite elitist,、um, and by that I don't just mean that it's very expensive and most people can't afford to get good lawyers.、Um, I mean that the way that good lawyers interact、um, with their clients,、uh, so with the people who can afford to pay to pay them, tends to be、um, in a way that makes things less clear rather than more clear. They traditionally use a lot of jargon and a lot of complicated phrases and words that are, that are quite industry specific, which makes it very hard for normal business people. To really understand what's happening in the process, so what they do is effectively outsource that problem to their legal team. The legal team handles it and passes it back when it's fixed.、Um, so they don't necessarily understand why it was a problem, how it was fixed, and what to do next time. So I feel like it's,、uh, it, it disempowers、um, the, the business owner、um, in that context.、Um, and I think the other, the other thing, obviously, is that it was really always aimed at larger businesses, predominantly. Um, or people with a lot of money,、um, and I think that with the new era of entrepreneurialism,、um, particularly flourishing in Asia at the moment,、um, there are a lot of small businesses, there are a lot of smart people with great ideas、um, who who just didn't have access to any quality support, and that's really the problem that we we're trying to solve. So basically, Upstart Alliance targeting primarily the the small businesses, right? Trying to help them get all the legal support, get all the legal coverage they would not be able to get from from the big legal firms. Is that correct?、Uh, it's about really accessing the people who who don't use lawyers or can't use lawyers. I think for us, the first obvious segment is startups because. Um, they're they're doing so much. They're changing so rapidly. They're growing quickly.、Um, but it also applies to lots of other businesses. I've I've worked、uh, in and with、uh, lots of SMEs and even MNCs who do very little legal、um, because mostly they find it quite boring and they find it quite difficult to engage with and they don't、uh, they don't get it and so they just sort of push it to the side and they write the contracts themselves and they hope it's okay. So actually, all those startups are our first port of call. Um, there are lots of people who I think would engage legal more effectively, and who would therefore have better, safer businesses、um, if legal was more interesting and more accessible、um, and easier to, to do. So, in your business model, how do you use new technologies to address all the pain points of customers, and how do you engage these customers?、Um, so, we have one sort of key、um, new piece of technology, I suppose, that, that we use within our business,、um, and that's what we call a smart contract builder. Um, but effectively, it's an automated system which takes responses to simple questions、um, and then tells the system which paragraphs or which phrases to include in a contract and which to take out and how to amend them.、Uh, 
Um, so what you do is you start on the, the back end with a, a contract that has maybe like 100 different varieties and variables. Um, and the client then goes onto the system, answers a few simple questions, and then the system can say, okay, I need paragraph one, three, seven, and 10, and we need to change this bit here. And then it spits out a, a completely customized contract for the user. Um, so that's, that's really a game changer, I think, in terms of efficiency um, and in terms of usability. Um, so it's, uh, traditional law firms would use templates anyway, right? They have, they yeah. have precedents on their systems from previous deals. So they're always really using an existing base and then tweaking it a bit. But trying to do that manually, um, particularly when it's from a you know from a different project with a different structure, is really time intensive and laborious, and it often leads to, to mistakes, human error. Um, you miss you know sometimes you leave in a reference from an old client or something in a new client, yeah. client which is really embarrassing, um, you know, and, and makes the firm look bad. But it's it's sort of inevitable when you're dealing with seventy-page documents and, and you know a tired brain at two in the morning or something. Um, by using technology, you take human error out of the picture. Um, you make it significantly faster. So what might have been a two to four hour job originally is a three and a half minute job. Um, and what that means is that it allows us to, to provide simple contracts um, to the user directly. So they create their own contracts using the technology. But it also means that on the back end, where we're dealing with more complex topics, um, we can still use the same technology um, ourselves, the lawyers within our team, um, to, to make our process much more efficient. And what that means is that we can, we can charge less. So it makes us more efficient and it helps us bring our prices down so we can engage with more people um, at a lower price point. Yeah. So how do you think these new technologies like smart contract you just mentioned and also AI-empowered chatbots, for instance, how are these technologies going to transform the legal service delivery in general? I think like all disruptions, um, it will take time for it to sort of settle down and for uh, for people, for both the clients and the providers um, to find a kind of a comfortable fit somewhere in the middle where there's enough technology but not too much, where it's being used in the right ways. Um, but I think it's inevitable. Um, I think that with... The, the, the move online, uh, the move to digital, the move to mobile, um, particularly in regions, Singapore and Hong Kong obviously are, are more developed um, compared to some of the other countries in Southeast Asia particularly. Um, but there are lots of places like Myanmar and Vietnam where more people have mobile phones than laptops. Yeah. So there's this whole revolution that's happening around us. Um, and I think as a, as a result, there's a generation, uh, you know, it started with my generation, the millennials, but the Gen Zs behind us. Um, who, who only want to do business online. They only expect to be able to book their holiday or do their banking on their mobile. Um, so I think it's, I think we have to change. As an industry of professional services, we have to move with the times. We have to give people what they want because the, you know, the kind of 60-year-old uh, gray-haired client is not going to be around very much longer. Um, and we have to, you know, ultimately we're a client service business. We're about making, you know, giving people what they want um, and trying to deliver a, a good experience. Um, and so I think that that part is inevitable. And I think that um, what we're seeing is some of the smaller movers, um, like like myself, like Upstart, uh, trying to do something really revolutionary um, and take the whole model online as much as possible. Um, but even within the larger law firms, um, Linklaters in particular is engaging very heavily with uh, innovation and technology. There's a few of the other big name law firms that are moving in that direction. So although they won't probably provide an online-only service, um, I don't think they would go that far because their brand is so strong already. They are looking at how they can use technology to gain efficiencies um, and to, to deliver it in a, a slightly more innovative way. So I think we're going to see it across the board. Yeah, so you just mentioned that more and more customers are now expecting to receive the services through online channels, through uh, apps or just simply online. 
but in the legal industry, that it's been really slow to adopt these new technologies comp compared to other industries such as you know financial services or healthcare or even retail. So why why do you think that is the case, and where does the resistance maybe from this big uh, legal firms is coming from? I think there's a couple of things. I think like all big companies, it's slow to move because you might have, you know, like a five-year multi-million dollar contract with, um, you know, some software provider, for example, and it might take you a while to get out of that relationship. Um, you know, law firms like big banks are international, they're global. So changing the system that operates them is a huge piece of work. It takes a huge amount of time. It costs a fortune, and then you only get, you know, you only start to see the savings later. So it's a big deal for big firms. Um, but it, that also would apply to financial industry, to healthcare, to a lot of other places. I think, and I, I feel able to say this because I'm a lawyer myself. But I think the primary problem is arrogance. Is that lawyers traditionally have been have thought of themselves as a sort of untouchable profession. Um, you know, it's perceived to be a very elite job to do, it's hard to get into, law school is very difficult. And I think, honestly, they thought, well, we're making millions and millions of dollars every year, you know, I've got six sports cars and five houses, why do I need to go digital? I'm already doing so well. And I think basically that's it. They were already making so much money, um, you know, particularly with the partnership structure, that they just didn't feel the need to change. But I think it is changing, and I think the young lawyers, um, you know, my generation, as I said, and, and below, we're now going into making... Uh, you know, senior association partner. I think they're driving change because they—it's it, interesting, it's exciting, and it's a—you know—it's fundamental. It's a better way of delivering service. Um, so it, it absolutely will change. But yes, it's been a bit slow to, to go that way, unfortunately. You just mentioned arrogance. Do you think there's also a fear out there that it might be get redundant because of a lot of automation process? I think that's definitely a fear. I think that's a fear with all with all expensive professional services. <laughs> that's part of the problem. Is that. People don't want to lower their prices, right? Because that's how they've always made their money, and they, they're concerned they may not get the volume to compensate if the value goes down, or um, you know that kind of thing. And like you said, if you offer people technological solutions, you know there is always that worry. Maybe they won't need me anymore. Yeah. Um, but I think I think that is a concern of the older generation predominantly. It's a concern for people who don't understand technology or where it's going. Um, I think it's also fundamentally about understanding the human mindset and what it is to be human um, you know efficiency is fantastic having something on your mobile and being able to you know create a contract while you're waiting for your taxi it's it's fantastic it's game-changing it, it makes it a much much better service but I tell you what the, the value that most of my clients uh, really um, advocate about and, and evangelize about when they deal with upstart is the conversations they have with us personally um, and I truly believe that humans are hardwired for connection, for personal human connection. So I don't think there's ever a point at which technology can completely replace humans. I don't think that's, I, I don't think that's possible, honestly. Um, and AI, you know, you mentioned chatbots and machine learning and AI. Um, again, they make it really efficient. They help you to answer your kind of most frequently asked questions. Um, you know, in a, in a way that's, that doesn't involve human time. Um, so I, I'm a strong advocate for it. Um, but half the conversations I have with my clients face to face or on the phone are not, they're, they're a little bit about legal issues, but a lot of the time they just want someone to talk to. They're having a, you know, a bad day or they're stressed about a business issue and they want someone who they perceive to be a business expert to, to reassure them. Um, and it's very hard to automate that. So I think that's, that's why Upstart has quite a unique model in the sense that we deliver the services online and we have a lot of online products, um, but we're backed by a team of real lawyers, which means you can still come in and have a coffee and talk to someone in person. You can have a Skype call or a phone call um, and reach out on a personal level as well. Um, and we feel like that balance is really important. 
So do you think maybe that these young entrepreneurs who are ready to embrace the technology would create much stronger mission force and actually challenge the current position of these big legal firms in the future? I think they will because I think the I think the pricing of the industry as a whole will need to change. Um, you know, lawyers are traditionally very expensive, and it was you know it's for a good reason. They spend a lot of time in education. They spend a lot of time developing their craft and their expertise. Um, you know, so I don't undervalue that at all. But um, but when there are efficiencies that make it faster and easier, then of course the prices have to come down. So I think in that respect, there will be a ripple effect across the board. Um, where even the large law firms with very good brands will have to look at their pricing models um, and will have to look at their, their, their sort of service delivery models. Um, but I also think that there is the right, you know, there's, there's the right fit and the right person in place for everyone. Um, you know, and if I'm a, a startup um, on day two, no matter how cheap it is or, um, you know, no matter I kind of I probably wouldn't need to go to a Linklaters or a, a Kingwood Mallison or you know a big name firm because that's not what they're designed for and it's not what I need. I need someone who understands where I'm at. Um, equally, if I'm a huge MNC, um, you know, if I'm HSBC or a huge bank, even if the service delivery is really efficient and the price is really low at a boutique firm or an online firm like Upstart, I'm very unlikely to go and use them instead of a big name law firm. Because I want someone who plays in my space and whose, whose deals are similar to my deals and whose clients are similar to me, um, and someone who has history in my industry. So I think I, I don't think the one will I don't think the one will completely replace the other, but I think the large firms will have to change to keep up a little bit. So we were thinking one of the biggest problems with online business models is that they need to subsidize clients a lot in order to actually retain them. And because of that, clients obviously are really price sensitive as well, and they have really little loyalty to digital offerings. So obviously they can pick that online website or maybe they would next time decide to go to another one. So in that sense, how are you going to make revenue streams sustainable? Mm. I think um, you're absolutely right. And I think it started before, um, you know, long before professional services went online. It started with people like Netflix. Um, you know, before it would maybe be 10 or $15 for a, you know, for a DVD. And now you're paying less than that and you get all the films in the universe and all the TV shows in the universe. So I think that the SaaS model, the software as a service model, um, the online service delivery in general has made has made consumers much more price sensitive, like you said. Um, they don't expect to pay much more than maybe $50 a month or so. And they expect to get unlimited content and access to everything. Um, so yes, that's definitely the perception online. It is a challenge for people who are looking to establish digital businesses. Um, I think there's two things. Um, I think to the extent that there can be some human element, um, I think that helps, and that's why, like I said, we're backed by real lawyers because we feel that people are people are loyal to people; they're not loyal to products. Um, so even if someone does something very, very well, if someone the next day does something just as well but it's ten dollars cheaper, they're going to move, right? But if they feel loyal to your brand and to the people in in your company, then that's much much harder to to break away from. Um, but I think I think having a human element is important, and for some businesses that doesn't mean need to be an office that people can walk into. Um, it might just be that the way that they project themselves online, they have lots of photos of their team and things like that. You can create a brand that is digital, purely digital, but it feels human. Um, so I think that's one thing. Um, and uh, and I think the other thing is really the people who expect ongoing uh, lifetimes of loyalty from their online clients um, have to create an ecosystem uh, and an environment that continues to add value. And I think that's the problem is people sort of saw it as a quick win and so they just put you know put a load of products out there 
and made them made them quite cheap and, and then expected people to stay. And what happened is really people took what they wanted and then went away and never came back um, because they you know they had to fix a particular issue and then that was it. Um, now there's there is a business more than that, but it's a it's a high churn business and you have to keep getting new clients every day, which is very difficult. Um, I think much more valuable, and I think it's a good incentive for the industry to do better. Um, is how do we deliver value on a daily or a weekly basis to, to people? How do we make sure that that monthly subscription okay, is useful to them every month? And that, that's an ongoing challenge. It's still one we're thinking about and how to you know how to create that that space that, that continues to be interesting. I think a lot of it's to do with content um, and education for me, um, and helping to guide people through their their business journey. Um, that's, that's you said that people are only loyal to people. So does that mean eventually online service only serves the role of marketing and you still have to rely on the offline service? I don't think necessarily so. Um, there's certainly a place for, for a hybrid, but, um, but as I mentioned, I think there's a lot of ways that you can make technology feel human. So the, the strongest bond is, of course, with the real person. But you can do a lot to make a, a business feel human. Um, and I think this is where actually AI, you're about chatbots and things, um, where a really strong AI product could do very well. Um, I think in general, people have got a bit of chatbot fatigue. I don't know how much you guys have used them, but um, whenever I see one on a site, I always kind of click on it and ask it a few questions to see what happens. Um, and in general, I find them very mechanical mm-hmm. um, and usually kind of a hard sell. You know, you kind of say, oh, sorry, and they're like, would you like our products? These are the prices. Here are links to go and see them on our website. <laughs> like, whoa, okay, calm down. <laughs> you know, I just yeah. kind of was walking in the door. Um, so I think there's been a lot of bad experiences with that type of technology, and the potential for it is huge. I think you could have a computer that was having a conversation with you if it said, um, hey, morning, Elena, great to see you back on our site. How are you doing today? And you went, oh, yeah, good, just uh, having my morning coffee. Uh, I was just thinking about maybe purchasing a whatever. They said, oh, cool, you know, I love coffee. Um, I like a latte, but uh, some people think it's too milky. What do you think? Like it's it's not doing you any it's it's not performing any function that's useful to you. But it is feeling conversational. You feel welcome. You feel like you're interesting. Um, and actually, that that can create quite a nice bond, even when it is just a computer. So there are lots of ways that we can develop better technology to make technology feel more personal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think ultimately. Real people will always have a strong response, but that is, there's ways of making that as efficient as possible. Our last question is about competition. So traditionally, service industries such as management consulting, legal advisory, and insurance brokerage rely a lot on interpersonal relations and trust. And what makes consultancy different from others could be in the quality of consultants instead of the service it delivers. So how do you think online advisory service is going to change the grounds of competition in the future? It depends what type of consultants do. There are some that easier to automate and some that are harder. For example, something like management consultancy um, is partially sort of scientific and, and objective and partially subjective. Um, and a lot of what comes into play is, like you said, it's the individual consultant's expertise, um, their particular perspective or experience. So I think in some industries you'll see either complete automation or very heavy automation. I think in others, I would, I would suggest that management consultancy might be one of these, that you would find that internally they will they were using technology to make themselves very efficient, um, also populating templates, uh, you know, scanning data to, to pick out keywords um, and assess risk and that kind of thing. There's lots of very cool stuff you can do with technology nowadays. But I suspect they would be most inclined to keep service delivery interpersonal and human um, because there is, there's so much that, that's hard. You know, how do you assess the feeling in a team? Um, you know, who is being more effective and who's being less? You can look at the data, but there's also a lot of politics and uh, relationships that happen in the workplace. 
I mean, it's a measure of the consultant's job, not just to look at the data, but to look to look at those elements, those human elements as well. So I think I think we'll see a range of automation through um, the different professional services, and some you know some are more uh, suited to it than others. So to wrap up this episode, Lucy, could you please leave our audience with three key takeaways? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess to summarise, I think the move to technology. Um, for professional services is inevitable. I think how that takes shape, um, you know, is, is kind of up for grabs. But, um, but I think the, the ultimate uh, dominance of technology is inevitable. I think, um, you know, it's important within that context to get the right fit for you. So if you're an early stage business, uh, you know, find a business that, that works in your space. If you are a big MNC, you know, find the right fit for you, basically. There are lots of options nowadays. I think that's one of the, the, the changes. Um, and I think I suppose for the, the, the third element, um, you know, I think the human touch is, is essential. Um, and that might be a technological version of the human factor. It might be real people, but I think um, there, there is always a space for great advisors and there's always a space for uh, great relationship builders. So I don't think that people should feel disenfranchised or worried about technology. I think the best thing we can do is embrace it um, and find a way to coexist with it, find a way for it to make us better um, rather than necessarily feeling like it we're competing with it. Great. Thanks. That wraps up today's episode of Typhoon Talks. Thank you so much, Lucy, for joining us. It's been a really interesting discussion. Thank you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure. That's all the time we have for today. Follow us on Twitter at Typhoon Bus and on iTunes and SoundCloud at Typhoon Talks for more podcast episodes. Also, please visit our website at www.typhoonconsulting.com for more industry points of view. We hope you will join us again next time.